Welcome to yet another edition of the Third Round Picks podcast. I am Mike Bibbins, aka at MBibs. Uh, if you care about all of my my happenings at Bibbs Corner for just the basketball stuff, uh, with me today is my partner in crime, Max Levy, aka at Max Scouts on Twitter. Um, hit us up if you if you care to. Uh, but not if you want to be in our mentions all day being salty. Um, today we're here to to talk about the the most recent crop of eliminated players. Uh, we've got some some heavy hitters on the list, but we're just gonna dive right in. Uh, first of all, one of my guys, my uh, under my underrated midget of the year, who may not be so underrated anymore, Carson Edwards at Purdue. Uh, Max, I'm gonna throw it to you first. How about uh, a Kemba Walker performance for Carson Edwards? Yeah, four of them. <laughs> um, well, I mean, was it all four of the games? Or I think it was, yeah, it was probably the whole he, run pretty much. He averaged, I mean, his lowest scoring game was 26 points. Yeah, so a Kemba Walker run for Carson Edwards. Um, I mean, in terms of Kemba, Carson Edwards the player... I can't really say anything different than what I uh, I've thought of him previously. I guess it can be appreciative to see him go off against these really excellent defensive teams, and that'll probably help his stock for in my eyes. But it's not like it's not like we saw him make any different decisions or him show us some new move or a new jump shot or something. It's just all the same stuff, and now it's going in number one and two. He's also not taking like thirty shots in every game, so that's a start. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so for me with Carson, I've given him the benefit of the doubt as far as uh, being a volume shooter thing. Uh, I think that's been my thing from day one is to not give him that 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 designation because I believe that he does what he does because it's asked of him. Um, like he had a much higher efficiency. Last year, when he was the number two guy, um, for me, it's more of watching what he's able to do. And so I, I watched a clip somebody put together of uh, just all the shots he made in the uh, Virginia game. Was it Virginia? No. The Virginia? What, what about the Virginia game? Yes, in the Virginia game, there was like a, a, somebody put together a montage of every shot he made. And I'm watching him just give DeAndre Hunter buckets. And, I mean, very quick release, no hesitation, same motion every single time, off a curl, off a catch, off a pull-up. Uh, I just think he, he can be in the right role if he's not asked to shoot 30 shots a game, a really scary scorer off somebody's bench next year, like right away. Like if he's drafted in the 25 to 30 range, like he's a guy that can come in and give you 12 points a game immediately. What his ceiling is, that's where the question comes for me. Yeah, I mean, we've already kind of hashed out Carson Edwards a little bit before on this podcast, and ultimately it kind of comes down to preference, what you feel about him, because he's kind of those – those. the problem with Edwards, he's, he's a very lovable player, yeah. right? Yeah. But <laughs> it, the problem is trying to figure him out as a prospect considering uh, – his just general he has a lot of things that could probably go wrong for him if he doesn't end up in like a really ideal location 
I'm I'm trying to figure out what the ideal role for him would be, and it kind of comes across as I don't know. That's the problem. Is I was like, ah, oh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> like an, like basically athletic Wayne Ellington. So if you he's have him more like not expecting to handle any type of point guard duties, just a, a bucket guy. I mean, even Seth Curry handles point guard duties from time to time. And right. even Wayne Ellington. It's not like he's not a guard. He's not a capable guard. It's not like Langston okay. Galloway is not a capable guard. But okay. you're not asking this man to run point guard mostly because of the fact that just he's is best to not have him make all these decisions because he's going to be get a little too comfortable shooting. And he might not make as many passes as you want. Right. So if you're putting it in his hands, you're expecting him to score type of player. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe no, he. De- him- sorry. Maybe he develops into uh, the vision of JJ Barea, but I wouldn't necessarily bet on that because that seems like a like a rare development for a player's I, career. Yeah, I went back through like all the way back to his high school, and he's always been a. Uh, I mean, going. I think his high school stats were something like twenty-five, five and five. Um, I think that is who he is. I don't expect him to be a turn into a distributor all of a sudden. Um, I think he's a guy that can, if your team, like I could then see if he ends up on a team, let's say the point guard or other guys get hurt, like he could go on a run of like 30 point games um, where he's just asked to go score because nobody else on the team can't. Like he's capable of that. So I like the J.J. Barea comparison. Um I like him because he is an underdog type guy. Um, just going back to his high school and the way he wasn't really recruited by the Texas schools. I think Texas Tech gave him a call late in the game or something like that. But I don't know. I like that. I like those type of guys because there's a different level of fight inside them to make it work. My big thing is it's not like it is with Trey Young, where Trey Young in high school he was. No, he definitely still scored the ball, but he had more of the reputation of a distributor. And no, that then it, was the, his elite skill to do, was his score, the passing. Yeah, and like it's Carson Edwards. It's not like oh, now he just has to score points, so he can't put up the assists. No, it's an actual like thing with his game is that he's not necessarily a great passer, or even right. really a good passer. He's kind of he might fit the average bar. Yeah, he might he'll it, make a pass if, if necessary. And but that's the thing is, does it even fit the average bar for a point guard size player if you if he's only making it when he has to make one and not whenever it's best to make one? Right. Like I don't think you want him as your guy unless he's in an Allen Iverson situation. And even then, he's not have those dribble moves. Mm-mm. I mean, it's pretty close. No, <laughs> stop it. No, he's not that tight. He's more of a shaky enough to get my shot off. Like he's shaky he's, enough to make you go hand down, man down, and then pull up. And he's strong. My thing with him, like, if he was just a shooter, I wouldn't be as high on him. But because he's so strong on the drive, like, physical, and able to take that contact, that's what lets me feel better about saying that he's a guy I would be comfortable taking late first. That's what's kept Yogi Ferrell around in the league for so long, is how well-built he is. Yeah. And, like, Yogi Ferrell, like, like, I remember... Two years ago, the Mavericks literally on a switch had Yogi Ferrell guarding Porzingis, and Yogi Ferrell stopped Porzingis. 
And it wasn't because Przingis just missed a shot. Like, he actually held his ground and, like, prevented the shot from getting off just because it was late in the shot clock. So he had to, like, force him into a difficult shot attempt where he didn't have much time, and he was able to hold the body up against him, which is something in itself. Right. So um, it'll be interesting to see where he lands. I Obviously, I'm pulling for him. I hope he ends up in a good spot. Um I hope he isn't put into a position where he's expected to be a volume scorer right away. Um, but I'm curious uh, if he'll be in a position to, to grow or if he's always going to be that type of guy. Indeed. Next, Ram is PJ. Yeah. All right, PJ Washington. Um, continuing to do PJ Washington things. I mean, his defensive versatility has been valuable. For sure. Uh, Bibbs, why don't you go ahead and go in on him? I mean, uh, PJ's a guy, like I said, he I've said on the pod before, so I won't spend too much time saying the same stuff. But, uh, I mean, he's one of those those glue, Draymond-type guys, but I think the more offensive-minded. Um, I love that he's worked on his jump shot. Uh, he was big in both of the games he played in this past week, or this past weekend. Um Stepping up when he needed to to score, getting stops, making smart decisions, uh, playing hurt allegedly, but I think he had two 20 point games, uh, 28 in the last game, 28 and 13. So, I mean, he's just a guy. I think he probably was a mid, like a 20 to 25 guy before. I think he could slide into the 15 to 20 range now. Um, I'll be shocked to see him go in the lottery, but. I, I can't can't be mad at him for somebody that's like a borderline playoff team to taking him that fifteen to twenty range as a as a glue guy to fill those gaps. Yeah, I mean, whoever whoever's left out of like Miami, Orlando, Sacramento, someone oh right around there is gonna take him because oh, man. Sacramento. <laughs> I mean, you never can have enough forwards that can defend really well i guess yeah there's an increasing market for guys like pj washington and also i think they're about to go on a big fire sale of all their busts i can see that as well now that they've got a couple things locked in in place now it's time to shed those those assets they already struck off number one with justin jackson so yep yeah and justin jackson has performed well so people may be more enticed to take on some more of their, their riffraff. He's performed, that he's performed more well than bad, but not consistently. Better than he was in Sacramento. Yes, that's certain. Um, Is there anything else to say about PJ? Actually, no. anything you want to know? Okay. Um, I feel... No, they're not eliminated. Never mind. I was like, wait, someone's name is missing here. Wait, should we mention him anyway since he's injured? Who's that? Chuma. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's that's probably a smart move. Let's go ahead and throw Chuma in there because they're similar players, right? Um, man, yeah, that, that that sucked to watch. It did, but I mean, Chuma KK continuing to get on his inner Robert Covington, right? Oh yeah, like I've when I when you first mentioned him as a prospect, I was like, eh, I didn't see much, but I watched him against South Carolina, and that wasn't fair um, to him because. Silva just went off, and then that, that you know that wasn't yeah. He's not a big crazy game. <laughs> yeah, like that wasn't a fair comparison or matchup for me to try to judge him on. 
But like since then, I've, I've continued to pay attention, and I see it. Um, he's another one of those guys, those tweener, small forward slash power forward types that's smart at the rim and athletic and can hit the shots. And more importantly, he's mentally there, like as a guy. Like he has the brain. He's going to be a guy that can contribute right away. You know, I'm not the first person, or actually I'm definitely not the first person to say this, but um, I forgot his the guy that runs NBA Wowie at the city, I think is still his user on Twitter. Yeah. Um, he was saying how he finds it insane that people have Cam Reddish so far above Chuma. And I see, I kind of agree with him right now. Because yeah, honestly, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, honestly, Chuma is basically they, I mean, PJ and Chuma have a fair amount of similarities, and Chuma arguably has a more versatile offensive game with the jumper. Yeah. Arguably. So, I mean, you could probably put them around the same spot. And if we're putting PJ in the teens, Chuma's got to be in the teens at least. Right. And right. Cam Reddish, if it wasn't for his pre-NCAA tape, you wouldn't have him top 10. And I don't even think I would have him top 10 right now. Nope. But Unless it's, you're 100% doing it on potential alone. Unless he really impresses you in workouts and interviews and he has the right mindset, which it does not seem that way on the court right now or on the bench. Now, when you say right mindset, what do you say? Because I have I, an idea what I think. I'll, I need to see two things. I need to see, number one, uh, a guy that f- focuses not on excuses but on improvement and thinking right. about what I could have done differently. Right. Number right. two, I need a guy to to stand up and recognize that this entire year was just – was kind of not I'd made a terrible decision and I need to learn how to make literally on the court and off the court make better decisions and also be more committed to my decisions even though they're bad sometimes like because it seemed like he just kind of gave up I was gonna say it felt like he kind of checked out like he accepted being the third guy and not being himself basically he slowly fell off from even being the third guy that's the thing right like he just like, I'm here. I'll do things from time to time if you want me to, instead of using whatever shortcomings there were early on to say, use it as motivation and try to improve or do different things or try to make an impact in another way. Like that didn't happen. What's also insane to me about the Duke situation is how they were so thin, like their roster. Like it was basically their starting lineup, plus uh, whoever's on the bench between Javin and Marcus Bolden and O'Connell. Yeah. yeah. If on a good day, O'Connell. On a bad day, no O'Connell. Delorier actually played well. <laughs> well, yeah, Delorier Deloria is good. He's probably not an NBA prospect because he has a fair amount of limitations. There's not too much upside or anything. Right. But he's and the type of guy. He's going to go over in Europe probably and make a few hundred thousand dollars for his career. Maybe even a few million, depending on how much the salaries um, rise and stuff. Epike Udo, the MVP? Like, <laughs> yeah. Epike Udo was viewed as like a legitimate first, like a second or first round prospect. So that was, that's a bit I'm different. I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm putting in the, the, the style and the body, the build and all that. Yeah. 
Also, Ekpe had to play like so many years overseas. Right. <laughs> he probably should have even come over sooner than he did, but it's not really his fault. Because, I mean, he was getting paid at Fenerbahce. Yeah, it was a tough decision for him, I, I believe. Fans were devastated. Um, but we're getting sidetracked. Um, yeah. If it's not clear, by the way, Cam is one of our followers for today's podcast. Well, we'll get to him later. All right. Halfway got him. And RJ. Well, no, we haven't touched RJ. Yeah, wait, so we have not touched RJ. Um, t- both of the, the rest of the Kentucky guys, Hero and Keldon Johnson. Keldon Johnson redeeming himself finally is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy I liked. I couldn't tell you 100% why. <laughs> I just did. Um, I love that he like, he's a guy that I think found other ways to show that he could contribute besides just the scoring. Yeah, and if if he if he didn't have his his motor as a player, in addition to all that other stuff, because all the other stuff, except for like the shooting and the sort of inside scoring ability with the drive game, right. outside of that, you almost have to ask yourself, what player do I even have? But he has some he has positional size and he's kind of average at a whole bunch of things, but he's kind of redeeming himself enough to where I think his place in the teens is still deserved. Yeah, I think that's safe. Um, I mean, you can't be mad at him there. I, I have to wonder what his body's going to look like in a couple of years and if that's going to make him have look like he probably should have gone higher. But regardless, yeah, safe safe pick in the teens. Uh, I think Hero, I don't, do you think he did much to change what people thought of him? Or I think... I think the problem with Hero is he's inherently going to be, uh, if he's making shots, people are going to love him. And if he's not, what? Even like, because like the defense, it's still not trash. It's not terrible. No. But he's a very busy defender. He works on defense, but he's still no Keldon. And he doesn't have, yeah. I wouldn't say he has the driving ability of a Keldon, but the shooting ability is significantly like more versatile than a Keldon to me. But it also is kind of weird because Keldon does so many other things and also doesn't really take enough from range for me to even, like, how can I prove it? It's, like, it's only what I can see. And in Kentucky, there's always things hidden from um, sight. Yeah, and that's, again, that's another reason I don't like scouting Kentucky guys. I'm trying to scout them on a curve when I do. Um but yeah, Hero, I don't think the needle moved much for me on him. It was good to see him step up in the clutch um, against Houston. But, uh, I mean, that's the type of guy you know he is already. Speaking of Kentucky, Kentucky coach Calipari getting extended for life. For what? For life. When did that? Did I miss that? It happened today. Okay. April 1st okay. for the people out there. Oh my god! And it's real. It's like he actually did get extended for life today. Yeah. Is that even, has that been done before? Uh, I don't know. I think it has. Maybe not. Not, not like legitimately, but uh, yeah. I saw UCLA was coming after him allegedly, and they were giving him a pay cut though. That's the funny part. It was less. Is there a tax situation there? I'm not. Well, it's California. No way. But I mean, actually, you know what? Um, I studied coaches' contracts back in the day. 
if they offered him less in a base salary, he would have probably had a bajillion incentives that would have taken him over that. Well, I um, think they were saying it was generally less, but I and also Kentucky has to be offering incentives too. I mean, it's Kentucky. Oh, they do. Yeah, I, I saw his original contract. I think his base was like a hundred thousand, but then he had like up to five million in incentives. And also, he's he gets so many more endorsements for Kentucky than UCLA. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, at this know. point, he is Kentucky at this point. There's a lot of stuff in coaches' contracts that you don't even realize is a thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's enough of Big Blue, though. Am I right? Yeah, I think we, we touched on them pretty solidly. All right, Senor Clark. Brandon Clark continuing to do Clark things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that's your guy, so I'll let you go sound off. Well, I mean, the big thing that, from what I did see of the Florida State game, he fell in love with driving into the paint a bit too much for my comfort, and he, he had to create shots out of awkward situations being set up, uh, matched yeah. up against Kevin Jelly. Yeah. Kevin Jelly or Kevin Jelly? Uh, what it was. Cabin Jelly and uh, Kamaji. Guy, uh, Chris, Chris Kamaji. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those uh, matchups were not ideal for him, but he still found a way to make an impact defensively. And his he didn't seem to be bothered in terms of like mentally by it. He just right. seemed to keep playing his game. He's a and smart guy. Like he adjusted. He's, he adjusted, but in the first half, he did spin move right into a Cabin Jelly block. So that was great. <laughs> So he's gonna have to be a bit more aware of that because he did. It was also a very crowded paint, but I mean, it was yeah. like I think there was less than ten seconds on the shot clock. So yeah. So for me, I'm still not sure where I'm gonna end up on Clark. I think he helped himself w- with the national audience and allowing those that were already super high on him to be able to say, "This is our guy, and this is why." Um, I just feel like. It's hard for me to get look at him as more than a high-level role player, and I don't know if I can take a high-level role player top 10. Okay, hold on. Let's have this discussion really quick. All right. Um, can you design plays for him? Like, what, what, Can what, you design what? plays for him? Can you design plays for Kenyon Martin? Yes. Okay. I mean, if he's basically— is he your number one, number two guy? No. But in the, how many number one, number two guys are in this draft? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> like I at this point, that, honestly, you should be looking for valuable role players past Zion because unless you think Culver is going to be a number one option, which he's not. I say number two, if at best. Yeah, he's. Uh, he's. I mean, and that's what I think is probably going to happen in this draft is that maybe four through ten or so. No, not all of them, but the majority of like four through ten to eleven is gonna be guys that are very high ceiling guys versus what they've already proven, like bowl bowl and stuff like that. I mean, let's put it this way: take a look at the twenty thirteen. I mean, not twenty thirteen. Wrong draft. Twenty sixteen NBA draft. This draft is strikingly similar to twenty sixteen. You have the clear number one prospect and Ben Simmons. Okay. You have the clear number one prospect in Zion Williamson. You have a guy that's rated to be a high-level scorer, but and then doesn't really work out that well yet in Brandon Ingram. 
You have yeah, a very raw prospect. You have another raw slashing prospect that also can't really shoot in RJ Barrett. You have I feel like a top a point guard was picked top five in this draft in that draft. Jalen Brown was considered a surprisingly high pick. And that's Bender's my point. Your foreign guy. Yeah. And he's raw and Jalen Brown. Jalen like you need to be looking for Jalen Browns in this sort of draft. And not literally I mean, like is that that's RJ Barrett. Jalen Brown Jalen Brown wasn't that scorer. He was known he as was the defense. He was considered like uh they looked at him as a, like a LeBron type driver, like he was great at driving to the rim. He wasn't a shooter. He was no, great but the, at, that was his thing. But he also didn't he have the defense still? Yeah, he was a, he was a defensive guy, but also like offensively, they looked at him as being like a strong physical and strong finisher at the rim type of guy. I mean, see, that's the difference is that RJ doesn't really have the. He's defense. not strong. He's just good at. Oh, you mean RJ's not a defender? Okay. Yeah. He's okay. not really. I mean, he has his moments because he's athletic. But... Chris Dunn was the fifth pick, by the way. Yeah, Chris Dunn, not really even a point guard, sort of a point guard. Like the the first point guard ish point guard was that was picked was Jamal Murray. In that I'm draft, even, like, and he's uh, I'm not even sure you can really call him a point guard anymore. He's only a point guard in name. Uh, Buddy Heald was the smartest. I mean, he was smart, but they traded him, gave up on him too quick. Uh, but like, he was a guy who actually had produced. But he was a pick that was underrated because of his age, and which he ended up being older than even anybody thought. Then you got Marquise Chris, raw potential. Jakob Pertle, eh. Thon Make or Thon Maker, Sabonis, Torian Prince. Like none of these guys were proven, proven guys. That's why I expect to happen in this draft. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is uh, the, the a lot of the guys that are going to get picked are not young, ridiculously young guys that are going to get picked early. There are going to be a lot of seniors in this draft that get picked early. Whereas, like, it was basically Heald was, like, the only senior in the top 10 picked. And then you had Prince at 12 and Valentine at 14. Yeah, 14. And then a few foreign guys... Like, Yabusele yeah. was overdrafted because the Celtics could afford to. Um, yeah, I mean, who else were they going to get? Wade Baldwin, Henry Ellenson were the next two picks, so. Yeah, like I'm saying, like, there wasn't a lot to look at there. I was a big fan of Alfred Zizic. And then you we have were... Pascal Siakam at 27. I didn't even scout him. Deal. That's how random he was to me. Well, he clearly was the right random. I'm saying, like, I hate when there's a guy that, like, blows up and I I didn't scout him in his class because I was lim- much more limited than I am today. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Robbed it was a 36 pick. Yeah, <laughs> huge steal. Um, hold on. I feel like um, huge steal, honestly, relative to where he was picked. Ty Wallace, 60th. Yeah. That's a huge I mean, steal. Yeah, that's... You, you can never have too many long athletic dudes. Yeah, but um, really quickly, I just want to say, like, th- you need to be looking for the players that can f- check a whole lot of boxes and have legitimate ability as role players in these sorts of drafts where, like, they're lacking. They might not have that upper, like, quote-unquote star potential, but honestly, their impact as role players could potentially be explosive. So you're saying the, the, the high floor. It's not even high floor. Versus, the, 
Versus it's high ceiling. It's just not high ceiling. Drafted. Yeah, not highest ceiling or the 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 lowest range, like the 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 Wendell Carters. Mm, I was thinking more like the Jalen Browns. I mean, I don't even know how I feel about Jalen right now, but you get. I mean, the idea that at minimum he's this. And at minimum he's this, more. and he can make him significantly. Like that's right. what I see in Brandon Clark. At minimum, he's a guy that runs to the rim can dribble the ball and plays hard-nosed defense and can block a whole lot of shots relative to his size limitations and even not relative to his size limitations. Better version of what Jordan Clark was starting to look like. Or Jordan Bell, sorry. Let's say who? Um, but yeah, we, we've, we've we've digressed again. So um, <laughs> uh, we got to move on at this point. So we are. Um, we next name in this, we got Kobe. Kobe. That's you. Kobe! <laughs> no, uh, I'm very happy for Kobe. Um, I think um, he was a guy I was, you know, silently very high on already, but uh, came out and performed in the tournament. Uh, people, uh, for me, he even impressed me because the one thing that I did question about him was his driving ability and finishing on the drive. Great to see him having having worked on that and improved tremendously throughout the course of the year, finishing strong. Um, one thing that I was glad to see that I thought he had in him, and it's why I was already high on him, was his willingness to step up in big situations and his his fight and his drive to to carry his team if need be. Um, like he has those qualities that that I would want in my point guard where, Yes, he can be the distributor and set everybody up, but he can also go get you a bucket if you need it. Um, so I'm I'm glad that he was able to showcase that. I think if you didn't already have him as a lottery pick, I'm not saying early lottery, but I think he, nobody's going to be surprised to see him go 10, 11, 12 right now. Yeah, my big thing is, though, in the last UNC game versus Auburn, he started to um, never have a shot he didn't like. Yeah, he got way too comfortable. And that's bad because that you can argue that was one of the big reasons why UNC really did lose that game. I think what was Harper going off in that game? Oh, they were, they were, you and Auburn was on all cylinders. Chumo KK was dropping like, I think they dropped like at least 18, if not 25. 20, yeah, 20 points, 11 boards. But I mean. Um. I mean, yeah, Harper and Brown both almost twenty-five points. Yeah, they had everybody was hitting. Oh, I know that was Kentucky, but still, Harper and Brown have been on fire for a while. So, yeah, I think what happened there is, uh, let's see, what did he end up shooting? Four for fifteen. Ugh. But Cameron Johnson was four for eleven. Also, Luke May was six for fourteen. Yeah, Cam Johnson kept being relatively uninteresting <laughs> outside of the I mean, shot. <laughs> yeah, so I think Kobe, like I said, he saw his team was losing and he's tried to do too much. Yeah. I wish he would get into a passing mode more instead of just shooting shots, to shoot shots. Right. Shooting also, shouldn't always be the answer. Also, honestly, in college basketball, this is one of the few times where I've been like, feed the big man. Just feed Luke May, even though... You know, they're scoring threes on you against two-pointers, but I really feel like Luke May was the only person consistently hitting shots that night. We're, we're up stretch there. 
So, I mean, what what was the overall number for him? Yeah, six. For I know 14. the six for fourteen. That's not even that bad considering some of the people's nights. Yeah, one for four from three. Like, yeah, he that was a good line compared to him to Kobe and Cam. And he shouldn't have been shooting so many threes. I mean, like on the block, feed him on the block because he has some really crafty moves. Because yeah, I mean, maybe you have a chance to get a peaky or somebody in foul trouble or something, but I think the game got away from them too quickly. Yes, and also no one really dropped twenty five, but just everybody was putting in work for Auburn. Everybody like yeah. like they had one, two, three, four, five, six people with over ten points, and Harper yeah, and with Harper nine. Had nine. And 11 assists. And three of the guys in double figures were off the bench. Like, they just came at UNC in waves. And it was just too much. Then Gengel Purfoy with 12 points in 12 minutes of probably garbage time. I feel like he had a couple big ones. But, yeah, well, it was probably dagger shots at the end. As they were, like, blowing it out. Yeah. As they were stretching it out. Austin Wiley continues to have injury problems and only played six minutes. So he was probably still recovering that and i feel like uh pearl is a pearl yeah yeah uh, uses some situationally more than anything well he started him earlier on in the year so yeah. but then he got hurt so but anyway is there anything else really doing that with you, kobe i mean not really uh, real quick though how do you feel about wiley this year as a prospect uh, I don't even know how to feel about him anymore. I haven't pulled up my notes on him in so long. Okay, we'll leave it alone. But, <laughs> and also, he's hurt at this point, so just just come back and do He looked pretty stuff. good in, in, in the last game. Um, I think he gave him some, some good minutes. Uh, he was wild a few times, but just seeing him pursue the boards and get a couple post hooks in. I think he had a nice fadeaway jumper um, the second game at one point uh, when he came in off the bench. He had foul trouble, but I mean, he looks—he looks like he's he, mentally. I'm surprised at how well he's handled his situation. For sure. Um, so Michigan is one of the teams I did not get to see much of in the tournament. So, did you get to see a good look at Ignas Brzezikas? I think I watched one of their games. They were. I mean, they were pretty. I didn't. They were one of the teams I didn't watch much of, but. Uh, I think Iggy was the guy, I mean, this isn't going to be surprising, but he's the guy that played with the most heart and confidence throughout their run. Um, In the Texas Tech game, he had 17 points, 13 boards. Nobody else had more than four rebounds. Um, He was 0 for 5 from 3. He didn't hit many shots, but I think if you, for him, it's more of people trying to project him I, again, as not, not, I don't want to say a glue guy because I hate saying the same term over and over, but just a guy that kind of fills the gaps. Um, he's not a guy you draw plays up for. Uh, I'm not sure where I would draft him. Maybe early second, like 30 to 40. Yeah, I mean, my big thing with Michigan is the one game I got to see them play really like actually took a good look at him because I was watching jaw and trying to get as much jaw in before I knew he'd be gone. Wait, did they play? I'm pretty sure that no, no dumb. So they were, Michigan was playing while jaw was playing. That was the thing. Gotcha. Michigan was playing Florida while jaw was playing Florida state. Right. 
And in that game specifically, I feel like I never saw Ignis doing anything. Now, it was also entirely possible because I was flipping back and forth between the games every time I hit commercial. So it's entirely possible I just missed it by sheer fortune. Yeah, that was the one game where Poole showed up. Yeah, the, I mean, you, Poole's not doing anything different, so I can't even really call him a faller. It's just he's been doing what he's been doing, and he just didn't work this time around. Um, yeah, Iggy only had five points that game. He was very, very quiet on the board. 14-7 and seven in the first game. Matthews had 22-10 and 10 against Montana. Yeah, Matthews, I think we low-key underrated him this year. I think his defensive ability might be somewhat, if not significantly, better than we probably said he was. But that, I'm going to have to go over and look over that again. But that's just what I've been seeing in in some spurts. Yeah, uh, I think for him, for me, it was more that he, I don't know if he improved anything coming back this year. Eh. Like he is what he is. It might not even matter because he's still that good on one side of the floor, arguably. But um, moving on to uh, Infiandu. Kevin Jelly? Yes, sir. Came out of uh, nowhere, sort of. Eh. Th- uh, um, Schmitz was talking about him. Well, like he didn't start getting buzz or chatter until the ACC tournament. Yeah, Schmitz was talking about him like as the ACC tournament opened up. As a guy to watch type thing? Yes. Or? Yes. Okay. okay. Um... But yeah, he was very strong all the way through their ACC tournament run, and then in their first uh, couple postseason games, he was he was great as well. Uh, pretty quiet in their elimination game, but um, I think he did enough damage to get people's attention as another one of those big men that can step out and, and run the floor. And, handle and the, the weird thing is, is that it feels like he's a four with how he plays because he's so much on the perimeter offensively, and then defensively he's just stacking the paint. Like always guarding Rui Hachimura's drives, which he can just shade him um, against the rim and then just block his not really tall self. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And like the thing with Kevin Jelly is he's he he almost like like he, I swear he said se- I heard seven foot four wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> That is interesting. If it's not, it's it's he's they're certainly long. I'm not how I'm sure how long, but it's long. Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, got some stuff with him. Um, how I mean, how how much of a a draft bump did he give himself? Like, are people is he draftable? And where? I don't even know. I haven't seen enough. It's but okay, is he? Like, I don't, He's on the radar, I think. He put himself on the radar, and I don't know if that he was on the radar before that that run for himself. He's he's athletic enough to where he's very much a workout warrior. He's gonna rise right. after those. I I swear his wingspan is ridiculous. Um, uh oh, here we go. We might have a confirmation. Uh, seven. Wing. I got seven one, but that was coming out of high school. Oh, Kamaji. 
talking about Christ? Kama- yeah, well, it's the only Kamaji I know about. Has a, <laughs> has a seven foot four wingspan. Yeah, he's like seven foot two himself. So yeah, yeah. Beyond those six ten with seven one wingspan. That's still pretty long. Two fifty strong. So I mean, he looks good. He moves well. Can't have enough athletic type guys. Yeah. Um, if we, I don't know. Is he a senior? I'm not sure. Who, uh, Cabin Jelly? Yeah. No, he's like, I'm pretty sure he's a junior or a sophomore. A like sophomore, Richard. It looks like. Go it up. Pretty old for a sophomore, 21. Yeah. Turned 22 in August. So. They're Canadian, man, they're taking over the league. Likely Redshirt? Potentially. I'm not, I don't think I've seen that anywhere. Well, I mean, he's going to be 22 coming to the NBA. <laughs> so either he's a really old sophomore or he's a redshirt. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a guy that a team could fall in love with and draft. Again, in yeah. the second round. I don't know if you do it in the first. Nah, well, or maybe well, like late first. I think I think I just need to watch more of him before I give a serious evaluation on him. But he certainly is on the rise. He's another one of those guys, yeah. Um, there's going to be somebody that surprises everybody out of nowhere. All right. Now, speaking of surprises to some people, <sighs> the fall of Nikhil Alexander-Walker. After literally one game, you can just his stock is just going to crater, I feel like it. <laughs> and I, I don't know how much you can take away from one game, but he's struggled so much. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really do much or explode in the other games, so. Well, he put up numbers, and he showed off his range and his scoring versatility. That's what he did before. But it appears Duke was just too much for him. Like, he had so much trouble navigating the space because they could clog up his driving space. And he he got his jumper. I swear he got blocked on his jump shot. And he just generally was ha- he couldn't get a shot off over long arms even. Couldn't get space, all that stuff. Yeah, it's it was bad. Yeah. So twenty in the first game against St. Louis, then he put up the, I believe I said the Devils, uh, trio six 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 against Liberty. Yeah, I mean um, the Liberty game wasn't that bad because I mean Robinson kind of took over. And uh, let me see here. Two for eight in that game. And then, of course, like you said, the the Duke game, he was kind of... It was tragic. Kinda, what, three for ten, one for five from deep. And, the, and the, the play was worse than that. It wasn't like he was just missing shots. It was actually yeah. bad. Five assists, three turnovers. He did not look athletic enough to play against Duke. Yeah, or at least not creative enough. Right. Like, you got to have both or a combination or one or the other in a very strong way. And he didn't seem to have much of it. Blackshirt, on the other hand, dominated that game. Yeah. All right. Moving on to R.J. Barrett, who has continued to be what we've kind of thought of him. But in general respects, he's probably falling 
But at the same time, he showed off his passing versatility versus me. Right. For him, is it more so that he's just securely not one or two anymore? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. It was Virginia Tech. My my dumb self forgot. Yeah, RJ Bear was showing off his passing in that game too, and against Virginia Tech. But still, it's mostly because he was players were moving up onto him, and so he had to pass out or face a turnover. Right. Right. More attention was on him with uh, Cam out. Yep. Uh, any pieces you want to say? Because I feel like I interrupted you accidentally. <clears throat> Not really. All I all I really had to add there was just uh, him after this tournament being securely not one or two for most people. Almost in, uh, within a slot, and it's not a huge drop necessarily. Um, you could potentially see him drop to four or five, depending on how people feel about Colbert and others. But um, I mean, that's significant. That's what uh, a fifty percent drop at least in his stock. If you want to get technical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he started the year one technically by, by a lot of people's standards. Not by the smart people's standards. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's factual. And by the way, just so we know, we didn't even have a board starting the year, so it's not us. Just We're not trying to give ourselves credit. Don't don't not be that. No. So, but there were plenty of smart people that rightfully had Zion number one start the year. And honestly, even I was, I was questioning why everyone seemed to be so declarative about Zion not being number one. Because it almost seems like there was a whole, cons- not conspiracy, but like, like objective People were trying for, too hard. Yes, to like not put Zion number one just because oh he's going off against all these shorter dudes even though he's showing all this versatility and skills. Right, being able to move in such a way that a man his size should not be able to move. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, before I even saw RJ, I was like, how is there a guy out there better than this dude? And then I saw RJ and I was like, okay, he's really good, but he's not what I saw in Zion. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to, uh, Mr. Disappointment, Cam Reddish. You wanna, should we touch on Cam again? Just, all I'm going to say is, who and why do you pick him in the top ten, realistically? I really can't think of, I mean, the only thing I can think is a team, there's a, there's a chance Boston ends up there, right? Why would Boston do that? If they're planning on making significant trades. I feel like they could get better trade assets. <clears throat> I mean, they may already have the trade assets they're looking for, and Reddish just backfill some of that depth, potentially. I feel like they could get better depth that would be more capable. Hey, if the other team wants Cam Reddish, I'm not going to begrudge them Cam Reddish. Well, then, well, if they if what is the other team, the New Orleans Pelicans? Potentially. <laughs> I mean, if the if the New Orleans Pelicans want Cam Reddish, then we got other problems because they should not really want Cam Reddish. I'm just but here to offer. If if they if they pick Cam Reddish and because they if they have the option to pick Cam Reddish at like eight, I might I might laugh a little. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the only thing I can think of is a team. Uh, that doesn't have much to lose. 
that but is up there. The or, only teams that don't have much to lose are teams like Boston, who are go- probably trading you to a team that does have stuff to lose. Or, and then it, Philly, it's not, the Phillies does not have uh, a pick. Um, Clippers. I, Clippers, they don't own their pick because they made the playoffs. I'm not even saying their pick. I'm thinking they had to have gotten some assets back. Let me see. Um, but I mean, I guess the next team would be like doesn't really take any risk is if you're high on the Thunder. Yeah, like that's the next team, unless you're, unless you're, or I guess the Brooklyn Nets as well. Well, it's kind of like Denver. Uh, I could definitely see Brooklyn being a team that could do that. I would not be happy about it though. I hey, I I wouldn't either. <laughs> I feel like Brooklyn needs. I feel like they have so many shooters already. They just need more wing defenders. Washington, that are long term. LA. Yeah, I don't see anybody that's low risk until the twenties, except for the Spurs, which is nineteen. Miami. If the Spurs pick Cam Reddish, we're all gonna get Cam Reddish is gonna be good anyway. So then we'll all just have to like remake him like a top five guy again because he's on the Spurs. Charlotte. I mean, I can see a lot of teams going that way. Charlotte is the type of team that would do that. Uh, that would not uh, be good like for Charlotte. Blue blood. That nice. would not be ideal for Charlotte. It's a Charlotte move. Total it's a Charlotte move, bro. But with that, that is the conclusion of the um, prospects side of the episode. We are also going to release a matchups um, thing for our episodes, so stay on the lookout for that. It'll also be released the same day. With that, this has been. Another uh, another main episode of the third round picks. Uh, you can find my Twitter on at Max Scouts and you in Bibbins and Mike Bibbins on uh, Adam Bibbs and at Bibbs Corner and then his website BibbsCorner.com and also Richard Stamen who was not present today due to uh, inefficiencies and just life just like everyone else. Like I've I almost missed the podcast once, so I mean we all have our moments. Um, you can find his website MazDraft.com and at MazDraft. Peace. Uh, See y'all next week.